0: i'm megan i'm tyler and this is the office hours the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great american story hey tyler hey megan how you feeling about the great world of the office now that we have arrived at the merger
1: uh i'm excited to be back um i did feel like uh i think i texted you this i'm like i don't know if i have anything to say about this episode um but then as you reminded me we always seem to find something uh, so um uh, this uh, yeah anyway so i'm excited to be back i will say uh we got delayed recording um partly because of my internet being out for like five solid days um That's a long time it was it was like medieval times over here we were watching dvds to you know <laughs> avoid uh crushing boredom and going to coffee shops to, you know, send emails and stuff like that. a
0: person who still has a DVD player. Just imagine all the younger people who have never even had one. It would be on their own.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I know. What would you do? Like, you know, uh, tell campfire stories. I don't know. But uh, (laughs) I really wanted Spectrum to understand that they needed to get my internet back so that I could have Zoom, so that I could record the Office Hours podcast. Like, come on.
0: The stakes are high.
1: Exactly. So, you, spectrum, you, oh, that's yeah.
0: the name of your that's the name of your internet company out there?
1: Yeah, Spectrum, Comcast, Spectrum, I think.
0: Oh, okay. Um, okay,
1: got it. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, yeah, what's yours?
0: I think it's Comcast. Yeah. We're forgetting. I'm mixing things in my mind. What I've had now and I've had in the past. No, Xfinity. Is that the same as Comcast? No, that's different. I um, I do not recommend it. <laughs>
1: I don't feel like, yeah, I feel like it's just like a, a scammy monopoly, you know, all over the country. Uh, so
0: yeah, I feel yeah. like different times I've always hated my internet company.
1: hundred um, percent.
0: We'll do. So we're not seeking their sponsorship.
1: Yeah, no, but if there's some indie internet company out there that wants to <laughs> give us free internet, <laughs> this is your opportunity.
0: <laughs> and service that works so that you don't have to edit out my internet fails.
1: Yeah, um, Yeah, true, true. Yeah,
0: we'll take it. We'll take it. Well, Tyler, after our last recording, you texted me with a revision and regret, and it's good that we reviewed just before getting on this call because you were at risk of forgetting it. And it's I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm now like texting Megan my revisions and regrets, which feels, you know, uh, uh, when I think about it, it feels bad, but I'm just trying not to think about it. <laughs> uh,
0: the thing is, I didn't even remember it um so at least I think it really ended up being for you like you're the fact that you texted it helped you to remember and yeah. then helped you to go back so this is a good arrangement
1: all right so we're walking over to the accounting right uh, and that's where we revise and re regret and what I revise and regret is that I didn't talk or just mention the uh, extreme white privilege of Michael and Dwight loitering on a suburban uh, you know wealthy street <laughs> for what seems to be a solid 12 hours um, (laughs) going through the trash you had brought up a point that I kept thinking about was like how is nobody home and like there's like a dog or whatever there's you know like surely somebody would notice them maybe there'd be a security camera but nothing and then not only that nobody no neighbor is calling the cops nothing at all so yeah yeah (laughs) So i thought that was uh uh worth mentioning
0: that is a very good point <laughs> they are there for a long time um they're in dwight's wait did they take dwight's car or do they take michael's no they take michael's car michael's I was gonna, card, dwight's, yeah. dwight's dwight's car receives some feedback from andy in this episode
1: yes i was uh, thinking about uh,
0: that <laughs> crash all of that it's an excellent point uh
1: And I kept trying to come up with something I never arrived anywhere, but I kept trying to come up with something clever to say about the title being branch closing rather than like, you know, just the fact that it's an ING, I thought was kind of interesting as a title, Uh, but I never came up with any particular insight that was going to be another revision and regret, but because often they're like the, you know, like the merger or
0: something
1: like pretzel day, like they're a bit more noun focused um Hmm. so anyway
0: tyler i love it that you're bringing our attention to the ing at the end of that Hmm. well you've left us all something to think about
1: do you think maybe they'll hire me as an english professor at (laughs) core (laughs) not university isn't that what andy says
0: that is what andy says and i (laughs) love it (laughs) Using Cornell as a weapon in a way that I think is
1: hilarious. Uh, Well, uh, do you have any revisions and regrets?
0: I do. I have one. So you actually asked me to come back and (laughs) revise and regret something. And that was that I could not remember how Toby responded when Meredith went and asked if he had made that sex pact with him. Or did he know? Had he heard a rumor about her making some kind of plan with anybody in the office (sighs) so i went back and i watched it again it gives us very little of toby's reaction and i feel like he's just maybe bewildered but like not much more i wanted it to linger more on toby's face so that i could think about it but it was just Toby's a man of subtle emotions too. You know, he does not wear them often, very dramatically on his face. So I think I would describe him as bewildered. But I really felt like I had a lack of evidence and could not. I didn't. He didn't give me much to go on. Do you have a theory about this? About Toby's response?
1: I the and way that you know, I narrated it, kind of in my head, was like he's thinking, "Should I report this?" Yeah. Mm. That's kind of like my vision of him is that he's like attuned to inappropriate things, but just has given up on doing anything about it. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's kind of my guess, but
0: that seems right.
1: That seems right. But we will return to Toby in this episode because your your point about his subtle emotions is apt.
0: <laughs> I had uh I had some feelings about Toby at some some points in this.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Well should we go to the summary uh
1: I'm trying to think oh, we have no supply shelf and I have something that I think should go in Pam's corner okay, so okay. let's okay. stroll over to the receptionist desk if if That's
0: we good. may let's do it
1: now I happen to watch this episode um with Jen uh-huh. I said to Jen now Jen doesn't listen to the podcast which is you know um something we're working through and is a <laughs> source of source of contention and uh, no I'm kidding but um but she doesn't listen regularly and so we're we're but but she was like yeah I'll watch this episode with you and mm-hmm. um and I said hey actually I need to get your opinion here mm-hmm. uh as they are packing up in Stanford what oh. do you think about this ongoing debate on our podcast? We've had two episodes now where we're discussing Stanford versus Scranton and how they signify. Oh. And so I said, do you want to weigh in? And uh, and she did. Okay. And so I'm taking this as an opportunity, as a kind of uh, message. Anyway, so she said her theory is that Stanford is meant to look like, a, like it's another... It's an office like Scranton, but a different genre of office. So like like trying to like give us a different flavor of the same kind of, um, you know, drudgery or whatever. But she believes that it is meant to look nicer. She said she thinks it's a little more modern and it's brighter. um, Whereas Scranton is dingy. was the word that she used to describe Scranton. so I just, you know, bringing it back to the the, the ongoing debate of Stanford versus Grant. Now, of course, if if people listen, last episode, I rolled over too quickly. I, I gave in, you know, and said, oh, like, never mind or whatever. But then I found out that I think it was Nick agreed with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, then I was like, oh, why did I do that? Classic Tyler apologizing before but so I feel like now we're going to need to have some of your family members weigh in on this issue, you know. Um, yeah,
0: since you're recruiting people to weigh in who are already biased in your favor.
1: <laughs> I mean, frankly, I, I think once I told Jen that you disagreed with me, she's like, oh, I should have agreed with Megan. <laughs> <laughs> so, I stacked the deck that way.
0: <laughs> so that's fair, you know. Um, the ethics of of getting uh podcast input are murky at best.
1: It's true. All right, I think it's time to summarize. All right,
0: All right here we go. So, we are season 3, episode 8, The Merger. Jim and Pam reunite when the Scranton and Stamford branches merge. Michael welcomes eager new transfers, Andy and Karen.
1: Initial Tell reactions. Me. Yeah, what's your vibe?
0: I want to know what you think of the hats that Andy makes for Stanford. So this is opening scene, they're at Stanford. Jim is narrating, right? He's explaining that the branch is closing, they're, mer- they're merging um, and Andy has made these hats that are, to- they're gray, they're tombstones. They stand up above the head and they say RIP Stanford and they've got like a construction paper piece that wraps around the head so that they can stand. Tyler how do you feel about these hats? Would you <laughs> make them? Would you wear one?
1: Um well like many things I'm just going to say in this episode I thought it was funny. Um so that's my first reaction. I was like this is hilarious and I like that they were construction paper hats. Yeah. Um uh would I wear one? Ugh. I mean it does seem slightly uh, gallows humor which I enjoy mm-hmm. but I kept thinking about like the people who didn't who, who just got severance packages who aren't going to go to Scranton. What, how are they feeling about this? And wow. I suppose the cut to be, you know, trash can or whatever filled with the hats might be all the people who are like bitter. Uh, but I did, I found it pretty, pretty funny. <laughs> what did you think?
0: I forgot about the combination of there being transfer people and um, severance package people. I, I loved these hats. I thought they were very cute, very fun. I think they were creative. I like it that Andy put that level of festivity into things. Um I felt sad for him that people neglected the hats so quickly and there were so many in the trash. And I felt like people could have played along with that a little bit, a little bit more. I would have worn them. I think he actually has a real affinity with Pam in making those hats because That's a
1: great connection
0: who makes that kind of stuff yeah and I appreciated. it I feel like I feel like it's something that's often associated
1: with women in the office so I
0: liked Andy taking the lead in construction paper crafts
1: I find Andy like an interesting character like I'm kind of curious where we're gonna go with him it felt like this episode is probably the most andy we've got so far and um and i know it's like you know they're always he's always mentioning college but i'm thinking about that here like in the last episode when he's like uh our fearless leader you know and gets everybody to chant and then somehow the hats too made me think a bit about um like a kind of college yeah house uh vibe but i it's not quite i don't know i was trying to piece something together there but
0: yeah because it is a community building yeah kind of thing where you all get on board and do something sort of goofy together
1: yes that's it yeah like collective goofiness that's a good uh yeah
0: Hmm.
1: now i had a question for you in that same opening bit before we go to scranton Which is, uh, how did you feel about Jim high fiving Karen and how do you feel about high fives in general?
0: Oh, that's a a great question, Tyler. Um, I like high fives. Generally, I would say I'm for them. Um, Does that surprise you? Slightly.
1: Yeah, I expected you to be a bit misanthropic about high fives. I was kind of hoping for that.
0: Yeah, and I actually I, I like a good high five. I. I felt fine about I I see I don't have like a distinct memory or strong feeling about Jim high-fiving her I will tell you when I had a strong feeling about Jim and hand-related gestures and that is when he does get back to Scranton and he goes back to the annex and sees Toby and Toby puts his fist out to do the fist bump thing and Jim makes it so awkward he asks something like oh is this is this a thing now or is it is this thing we're doing he doesn't just go with it i thought that was the biggest asshole moment for yeah. jim and i was so mad at him and felt so much so bad for toby who's like oh i'm sorry i did that man i'm sorry he apologizes for it a couple of times just give it to him jim you know what he's going for you know what this is
1: i a hundred percent agree and i was like I mean, I think that Jim is like a bit of a dick in this episode to a degree. And, or I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it, like what he might actually be feeling or whatever. But in that scene, a hundred percent, like he's got no reason to be too cool or whatever for, for Toby. And also, this scene, that scene, like kind of captured why I like Toby so much and always defend him. And Mm -hmm. maybe it's because I kind of relate to that level of like, I'm trying to socially relate, but I also, feel like it feels awkward or or not quite you know uh uh, casual or you know there's a self-consciousness about it and so Jim kind of shitting on it made it it was that was excruciating for me yeah and the way they shoot it like we we stay with Toby like Jim leaves the scene and Toby sits back down at his desk and kind of like slides under the you know rolls the chair under and he just looks so small and so um marginalized in that scene or in that frame and i was like oh cringy
0: excruciating is a good word for that
1: yeah well actually the the episode does start in the cold open with toby's coming back from a run uh right i i I was sort of a little confused i was like wait is he did he do like a marathon or something i don't think we get any answer to that do we
0: no so it, it does seem like it was something it was a race over the weekend I did take a little bit of an issue with the time he said he ran it in. So Dwight, yeah, so we don't know what the race is. Dwight swoops in. He says that he could crush that time. Also, Dwight, to give you a reference point, of somewhere between a snake and a mongoose.
1: Oh, my God, I love and Dwight. Dwight just- is hilarious in this episode, I think.
0: He has such a practical system for defining running speed. <laughs> It actually really makes more sense in terms of the actual functionality of running. But Toby said he did seven minute miles. That's really fast. And we see Toby run in a later episode. And I'm not trying to be negative about Toby and his capability. I know this is you're going to have to step in and defend because I know this is going to come across as me. But that's just extremely fast. And when we see him run, he just is like more of a casual runner or more of a like kind of chilled out, relaxed, like just, you know, you keep at it and you finish. And that is the point. So he says, I think that this is I think maybe this is where I'm taking issue. He says, I finished like that's the good thing, right? Because there are runners. I am a runner like this. You run to finish and you run just to survive. And Pam's like, that's great. You know, you did something, you accomplished something. But then he says he did seven-minute miles. You only do seven-minute miles if you're really pretty competitive mm. in distance. I mean, you're not, like, running – or, I mean, you're not winning the race, probably. But, like, I don't know. I just I, – I didn't buy it. And I don't know why I took such an issue with seven minutes.
1: <laughs> well, uh, was he telling the truth?
0: I don't think so.
1: Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, we do get. It seems to be that we're meant to take it.
0: Yeah, we're supposed to take it as truth, right?
1: I think so. But I did. I did question it because I was like, "Well, is he saying that because Pam's there and he's trying to impress her, or is he saying it because Dwight is putting him on the line?" He says about seven. So I was That's like,
0: "Good point."
1: Does that mean seven? Does that mean eight?
0: Yeah, <laughs> is nine. Mean? Nine is about seven on some. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. So but um but I do agree with you I was like oh shit, that's fast and that doesn't seem possible uh, for Toby but whatever but maybe I'm just projecting my own uh crappy uh, uh Fitness um
0: there's a lot of space Tyler between crappy and seven minutes
1: okay fair enough <laughs> um
0: he might have been upping it for Pam
1: possibly and then we get uh, a, just a couple of my favorite lines in this episode, but I really love this. Okay, so Dwight says, well, "What was your mild?" Or well, first Pam says, "That's great." Why is that great? Because he accomplished something. <laughs> it's like it's such a great response, <laughs> but it's also like so pathetic in a way too. It's like, what did he really accomplish? Like you know. <laughs> but on the other hand, like yeah, why is Dwight trying to tear him down? Yeah. She's just trying to be nice by saying that's great you know anyway <laughs> so then he says about seven and Dwight says I love this I could be that on a skateboard <laughs> <laughs> and I love the way that Toby says well that has wheels like he, say, <laughs> he says it's so like as if it's an observation not a not a a retort and and Dwight says, yeah, well, my feet don't, and I can still crush that time. <laughs> I found Dwight very funny in, um, and then he, last weekend, he outran a black pepper snake, which I don't know if a black pepper snake is dangerous or not. I don't know. Uh, anyway.
0: His references <laughs> for speed are very specific. Like, snake speed, mongoose speed. It's It's hard for me to picture that.
1: So then they go outside, and uh Dwight is gonna go running and ham ostensibly is going to be timing it but is actually just <laughs> holding a thermometer digital thermometer what I found interesting about this was the way that um she has a kind of monologue to the camera hmm. and it is like less like being interviewed and more like being um like self-reflective or something like a voice inside her own head yeah Um, and it reminded me of when we watched uh the Diwali episode and she's like oh was that mean should I not have said that you know I've been kind of curious about Pam's uh interviews or her one-on-ones where it almost seems like we're getting a window into her like um superego or her her conscience so she says am I being mean to Dwight I don't know I did just make him run around the building and I have no intention of timing him. This isn't even a stopwatch. It's a digital thermometer. He does make my life harder sometimes and on purpose. Like he tried to put meters on the bathroom stalls as a way of bringing in more money for the company. Then he says, hey, three more laps, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, I should probably get back to work. There was just something very interesting to me about the rhythm of her like trying to justify herself to herself and to, I guess, the camera people.
0: Yeah. Huh. There's something interesting in that. It's making me wonder if, like, if things I did in my life, I then had to explain it to the camera, like what being forced to explain th- or narrate the things you're doing and how they might make you reflect. And do they make you, does it lead you to justify or does it lead you to sincere reflection and mm. kind of questioning Huh? I haven't really thought that much about that too. people's different interview styles.
1: It came up for me here, um, especially later when, uh, well, it's not much later, but Jim has this interaction with Ryan over the desk. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a great, like, it's just great writing that they cut to Ryan and he says, um, yeah, Jim is a nice guy. That's why I got the desk or, or something like that. I think that's what he says. Yeah. And um, so I thought that was just a, like a great bit of writing to tell us like who Ryan is and yeah. his worldview, um, yeah. which is getting bleaker and and d- douchier or whatever. Um, But I also thought it was interesting because presumably it means that the camera people said do you think jim is a nice guy or wow jim is a nice it sounds as if he's responding to somebody saying jim mm-hmm. is a nice guy and in the same way later jim, we cut to jim just saying where do i stand with pam uh, no idea i mean we're friends always have been friends um that is where we stand so like
0: hmm. it's
1: just interesting to me when we get like there in this episode we get a sense that the camera people are judging like yeah. judging uh some of their choices and then potentially also explicitly um guiding them with questions,
0: yeah, yeah. there was a moment in here. I think it was a Jim interview that made me think a little bit about the person who's there. Was it Jim? Was it Andy? I think it was Jim. Um, he was talking, yeah, so he was talking to the film crew. um oh, God sorry, I just set off a noise on something. Um sorry about that distracting uh anyway (laughs) Jim was I was I'll say I was scrolling through actually okay so I pulled up the episode so I could try to like scroll through it to find the still like to find Mm -hmm. this image but then I started it playing a commercial out loud and so that failed but what I was looking for is whenever there is this Jim interview I think And because he's looking, you know how often when they're getting interviewed, they're looking not directly into the camera, but to someone who's next to it, Mm -hmm. where he was looking at the person he was talking to, but then looked into the camera and it sort of dramatized the fact that he wasn't looking in the camera and you just sort of forget, or at least I do, that there is a person there that they're talking to. And so I think that that changing of the eyes drew attention to the fact that it isn't just the camera, but there is a person there and so yeah there are these documentary people there who are a regular feature of their everyday work life and who they talk to a lot but who are never visibly there so yeah
1: do you think that the camera people or the way in which the characters relate to the camera people are the camera people a proxy for the audience like are the questions that they're asking the things that we would ask or do you think it's something like there's a different layer that we're meant to sort of think to some degree about the camera people as i don't know having their own focus or agenda
0: Hmm. i don't know yeah, because they do have their agenda. Like They want to make a good documentary.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And so I guess are there certain... But at the same time, they're not like the crew on Real Housewives or The Bachelor or something. Right. Because it feels like there's definitely a version of this where their purpose is to stir up drama and to get them to say bad things about other people and that kind of thing. But so i i guess that kind of goes to a question of what actually their purpose is and what kind of documentary they're trying to make and are they really just trying to capture life as it is are they trying to contribute or shape the story in any way
1: yeah i yeah the other thing that that brought up for me so i wrote this in my phone after our last conversation And I was like, I want to ask Megan this at some point. And so it feels like this could be a good moment to bring it up, but we don't have to go too far into it, but just as like a bigger thing to flag. Um, But I was, I like wrote on my phone, ask Megan, is Dunder Mifflin a character? Hmm. And the reason I'm curious about that is because like we're constantly talking about, or the, the, the show and the characters are constantly talking about Dunder Mifflin and like it's kind of an interesting way in which like corporations or institutions become like a character um but they're not entirely defined or we don't experience them as entirely reducible to the CEO the CFO the board right it's like more diffuse than that you know so that somehow Scranton and Stanford both signify or a part of Dunder Mifflin or maybe the whole I, I don't know so it's just been I kept thinking about that in this episode too where I'm kind of like okay if Dunder is Dunder Mifflin the character of the documentary
0: huh. but it
1: kind of it's been making me ask like well what is a character <laughs> because like dunder mifflin dunder mifflin can only sort of ever appear through references Mm -hmm. it can't stand on its own to sort of speak for itself yeah and what's interesting to me about that is like that's actually kind of different than the way like corporations are treated in legal and political discourse like the corporation actually has uh personhood in Mm -hmm. on its own like and and uh legally so i don't know anyway i've just been thinking about that i should look into when that ruling was that like gave corporations personhood um and if it's around the time of the office but anyway this is a total tangent but i just was curious is dunder mifflin a character in your eyes
0: Hmm. it does make me also ask the question okay what what is a character and what makes something a character yeah like you say it's something where it can't act on its own and almost you know it It depends on the people who are in it 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 doesn't have a kind of direct or singular agency but it's got it seems like it exists as a character insofar as people react to it Mm. like like the making of a character of a corporation or of a school or of an organization seems to have a lot to do with the way that people talk about it because people do say things like you know oh i'm i'm so angry at this company or you know this company isn't doing enough for this mm-hmm. right so there are reactions that are to a company or to an organization as if it were a person and so i think that's kind of what gives it its character feel
1: oh that's good character I, feel what a good word <laughs>
0: What do you take? What kind of character do you perceive it to be? If you perceive it to be a character or similar to a character,
1: there's something very like, I don't know, I guess, yeah, very stark.
0: <laughs>
1: and like, I get, I get, I mean, I, this is going to sound anti character, but like, Thunder Mifflin feels so impersonal to me, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's because Michael is so idiosyncratic and like constantly trying to make things personal and everybody, you know, so in this episode, right? Like he's giving gift bags and coupons and he's making silly videos and he's trying to make them bond. And Stanley is like, we don't have to like each other. We just have to work together. And mm-hmm. so in that moment, I sort of picture the broader vibe of Dunder Mifflin as this like impersonal functionalist entity or something. But that, I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm really intrigued by your idea about like it's only sort of in reaction to it um, that it comes to life. <clears throat> Excuse me.
0: The thing about Michael is making me wonder about how different characters also relate and what kinds of characters are considered representatives of the company and representatives of Dunder Mifflin. And part of that is about your level at the company. So there's right. If you're higher up, you have more oneness with Dunder Mifflin or something. You're more direct representative. Yeah. Mifflin. It feels like part of what you have to do though, is take the personal out of it you have to remove all of the things that michael is (laughs) and be more what was the word you used be more stark Mm -hmm. be more removed from the the people business as michael would say
1: yeah Yeah.
0: from the people business and more i don't know i guess just like logical and more number-minded and that kind of thing i'm i'm sort of remembering when dwight role plays david wallace and is like you know financially it just doesn't make sense for us to have this many branches and so we need to close them and so the way that it seems like in order to become the characters who are most representative you give up more individual things because you just have to speak for the more stark company
1: Mm. That's fascinating. So this seems like a great moment to sort of transition then to Michael's, uh, attempts to welcome everybody to the Scranton office. Um, and I will say that this episode made me want to have some smoked salmon. Um, but yeah. I'm curious, what, what was your take on Michael's welcoming efforts?
0: I think we should talk about the gift bags. <laughs> yeah uh so he well first maybe we back up a little bit and maybe we talk about his interview when he is kind of talking about what is happening and a couple of lines really stood out to me maybe i just read this whole um <laughs> little little interview yeah so he says my branch is absorbing the stanford branch or as i like to put it my family is doubling in size That's all I'm going to say about it because I have a gigantic performance ahead of me and I have to get into my head and focus. Um, He also says at some point, (laughs) as far when he's talking about the idea of the branch being his family, he says, looking at his world's best boss mug, as far as I'm concerned, this says world's best dad. Michael, this is very sweet, Michael, I think. (laughs) totally um he is so enthusiastic i love it that he's preparing for a performance we see him at some point with his index cards where he's practicing the setup and he's getting ready for this performance he's got gift bags for each one of them as they come in they might not be the best gift bags but he did try
1: yeah i actually was a little confused by everybody reacting to this so like eye rolly or whatever you know and i was yeah.
0: hannah Ridge bar <laughs> like nobody
1: bar, when i got my job like nobody gave me a fucking gift bag with coupons no. for the area and like i would love a gift bag with coupons you know sure
0: yes um, i definitely felt like people came in with some really bad attitude to him and when hannah was like mine was mostly just pencils Don't complain about your bag of nifty gifties. Yeah, it did. It it felt like. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say there's some fair hostility or response to comments that Michael makes. But about the gift bags themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought those were a lovely gesture.
1: Yeah, I guess that's, I was like, I'm having a hard time figuring out whether their reaction is about being annoyed that they had to move to a new state for this job, whether they're like trepidatious about Michael as a personality or whether they're just grumpy, you know, about not having more fancy gifts. But it did occur to me, I was like, well, that's one way to make us like our core characters more is to have these kind of interlopers come in and not appreciate you know how how they are on the other hand I do feel like you know as we get to the to the situation with what's what's the guy's name who ends up getting fired um Anthony Anthony he um you know I definitely think we're meant to feel sympathetic to his reaction and that we're meant to see Michael yet again through normal eyes um yeah. but despite that I did feel like Anthony was um you know I don't like the reaction to the the Scranton um video I was like come on yeah. it's funny it's silly it's like what you know it's uh, a <laughs> I don't know I was like well, am I so negative about that brainwashed me into liking Michael Scott I guess so um I,
0: I might have I might have yeah I yeah so I I I felt like all of that um all of that attitude is a bit much he does so he does have a couple of interactions here I do think so there's a lot of did you find this for you to be a a cringe heavy episode
1: uh no there were one or two moments the the Toby fist bump moment um Mm -hmm. definitely the trying to get Anthony on the table was very cringy to me and uh i don't know i can't remember any other moment but those two yeah to me um
0: yeah those were definitely rough what about you there were a couple of the other michael ones and these are this is the beginning when people are coming in um, uh,
1: i know what you're gonna say
0: are both like so so those kinds of awkward moments but ones where i felt like they worked really really well with the way we see michael saying things and then people's faces reacting to them. Yes. So first is when he says to Karen, first he's done the like, take me to your leader. Oh, wait, I am your leader. And she asks, what's she say? Are, are you a Martian or uh, something else? But he looks at her face. Or a robot. Yeah. Yeah. Or a robot. And he says, wow, you were very exotic looking. Was your dad a GI? Which is funny and (laughs) offensive and awkward and all of that stuff. Um, But watching her face and also watching Pam's reaction, I really liked watching Pam's reactions to this. And I think that this is, I don't know, I just find this to be, I think, an effective and interesting and funny way to think about those kinds of comments that are, you know, very common that people make, all of the time but then rather than handling them in a really direct or really teachy kind of lesson way giving us like it's very dependent on people's faces but we get really really good faces here yeah the other one is Martin when um oh yeah Michael's walking him back and he says like okay I'll show you where the slaves work and and Martin's a black guy and he just his face too we kind of um see the reaction on him and so i think michael gets (laughs) it's like when he gets a new audience he's got a new crowd and new people to react to and so he's reacting to those things as anthony walks away he's like okay come on big guy um so as he has new people to interact with he is uh you know making associations to slavery and gis and all of that kind of stuff and he is making his comments but I felt like we got a lot of good reactions to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did you? Does this episode have a plot? And did you want a plot? Because mm. I was thinking about how it's very much about characters and about like, I I always think of the Megan theory of character. It's like you're you're throwing these characters together, and then we see their reactions, and that that's um, discloses something about you know mm-hmm. who they are so like I kept thinking about that here with um Dwight you know it's like Dwight and his kind of lust for power his yeah. uh you know the art of war type
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh games you know it was like very very funny to me and I felt like he you know shine as a you know like a comedic thread in the episode even though I was like I don't really care about the plot I don't even know that there is a plot of like who's the number two um so yeah I don't know I guess I'm kind of curious whether you prefer plotty episodes or do you prefer episodes without plot where we're just kind of like seeing these people bumble into each other
0: yeah hmm I feel like I need to bring to mind an example of something that is very plot heavy but I think I, I like the Of just seeing characters interact with each other, and I do think this—the competition for the number two—and maybe the fact too, this this relates maybe to uh, the lack of plot is that there really is no competition. It's already established, but so they're fighting for this non-existent thing. Yeah, it does make me think though. Andy and Dwight are kind of the stars of this in some ways.
1: Yeah. I, I found their interactions the most, you know, amusing. And it's not for nothing that the episode sort of ends with a lengthy tete-a-tete between them. Um, but I really enjoyed, I I don't know why, I just really enjoyed Andy's um, arrive, pre-arrival, like, interview. I'm trying to find the dialogue, but um, he said, oh, here he says, I'll be the number two guy here in Scranton in six weeks. How? name repetition, personality mirroring, and never breaking off a handshake. I'm always thinking one step ahead, like a carpenter that makes stairs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just some great writing there. But also I thought, you know, it just was really amusing to me. Then, you know, Michael's like, I like this guy, Andy Bernard. And like, so we see that these tactics work and they especially work on like somebody as narcissistic as Michael or somebody sort of incapable of seeing that Andy is just trying to ingratiate himself. Whereas Dwight sees instantly what Andy is trying to do. Um, and, uh, but you're right. I mean, one of the great payoffs of the episode is Michael didn't read the memo where it said Jim's the number two. And so all of this is (laughs) meaningless, (laughs) which is uh, similar to the merger or the, the branch closing, right? Where it's like, if Michael had just stayed in his office and answered the phone, he would have there would have solved the problem faster. But nonetheless, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and I thought Andy's tie was really sharp in this episode.
0: Oh, yeah, the, the green and blue. Has I he, just, worn, that tie. That
1: that he worn
0: that tie before? Because I think I remember trying to describe it in some past episode. Um, I love this theory. So I think his personality mirroring approach, it, it, when it's associated with Andy, it maybe sounds kind of ridiculous, but I actually think it's really good. And I love the way that it works on Michael. And when yes. Michael says, you must be Andy Bernard, aloha and welcome. Yes. And Andy says, and you must be Michael Scott, aloha and hello. <laughs> um, and just the, the joy then that we see in Michael having somebody respond to him like this and that you already mentioned it, but I've got to um, read it into the record and it's when it goes to the Michael interview. And he says, you know, I really like it's this guy, Andy Bernard. He's got this very likable way about him. <laughs> and it just works beautifully. And I really think it's a good idea. And I kind of felt like he and Dwight get into this aggressive Spiral of competitive personality mirroring, where they end up kind of doing it to each other. So Andy won't break off the handshake with Dwight, but Dwight is also a guy who will not break off the handshake. Yeah. And so it felt like there were ways that they also then started to reflect each other in this way that they then get stuck and can't break off of each other.
1: Yeah. No, that's such a great. That's such a great point. Um yeah then well i i don't know i'm I'm just thinking more about michael's approach here and his you know for all of his the cringy comments that he makes he does seem like genuinely wanting to make people comfortable he says
0: yeah i totally
1: he says um this is a what does he say um let's face it moving to a new job can be very stressful and i was like yeah like that's a sign of empathy i know that he's going to make the video sort of all about him but like it's not that it doesn't contain information that you might want to know i don't know so he says um but it's not like any orientation that any of you have ever seen it's funny it's got a little bit of a sing to it and i hope that it gives you a flavor of what we're all about here at dunder mifflin (laughs) and what we're all about here in scranton um Which I that was one moment where I kept thinking about, well, what's the difference between Dunder Mifflin and Scranton there? But so then we go into lazy Scranton, and I think because we had recently talked about the potential tattoos on our last episode, I was especially uh, uh, happy to see the first line is Sitting in my office with a plate of grilled bacon, um, <laughs> yeah. recalling Michael's love of bacon, crack, waking up to crackling bacon on the foreman grill. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what did you think of Lazy Scranton in the Electric City?
0: I think you're right. I think that this was a real act of warmth and generosity. That Michael he tries to lighten the mood. He tells Toby it's it's an orientation, not a bore orientation. <laughs> And he wants to make things fun. And how disappointing is that when you try to do something that's fun and that you think people are going to get into it and they're just so disconnected aside from Andy who watches it with great enthusiasm. Um, I really liked the anthracite museum reference that they go... So they're trying... This is with the coupons too. I actually think the coupons are a really nice idea because it's like, this is to let you know here are some good spots that we like in Scranton. And one of them is the Anthracite Museum, which is about the history of mining Mm. in the Scranton area. Um, And it looks like one of those nice, you know, like small museums. It's one of those things where I feel like I wish I would uh, take advantage of that more and actually go to that kind of museum. Mm says, let me give you a little bit of little bit of information on the mission, because this is a real place. The Anthracite Heritage Museum engages diverse audiences by interpreting, collecting, and presenting the story of hard coal mining, its related in- industries, the historic immigrant culture of Northern Pennsylvania, and the evolution of the region's culture. Um, so the story of hard coal mining. This is not our first reference to coal mining in the office.
1: Yeah, no, haven't we, have we, I feel like we heard, didn't they, they were going to take a field trip there or something like that? Yeah, to the
0: industrial coal mine.
1: Yeah, that's something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: Yeah, first season.
1: Um, I just, since you looked that up, it reminds me, before I forget, mm -hmm. um, I've started looking up, you know, some of the bars and restaurants that they reference. Mm -hmm. Poor Richard's is a real bar in Scranton and we have to go, but also in this episode, um, at the end, uh, Karen is like, do you want to meet me at Cooper's in an hour or something like that? Which I was like, first, what do you need an hour to do? Uh, and and like, did she go home and how long has it been? Like, do these people all have apartments now and homes? Like, anyway, whatever. Yeah. But she's like, let's go to Cooper's and Cooper's is a real, um, Seafood restaurant in Scranton, oh, um, which I thought was interesting. It changed my understanding because I was like, Oh, are they just meeting for a drink? and they might be, but it is also a place that has like uh, it's a seafood house and has been open since 1948. Um, oh wow, classic! Yeah. And they have a whole you know thing on their website about being in the show. Uh, so, oh, cool. um, anyway, I feel like we're gonna have to, to map those out. We have a few places
0: to hit on our tour of Scranton, including the Anthracite Museum, which has very limited hours, I noticed.
1: Oh, okay. But we're going to have to
0: have to plan. Do
1: um, you remember the Lazy Sunday video, the SNL video that they're parodying? No. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, okay. All right, I'm going to have to I guess
0: that. it makes more sense that it's a parody because of the Blair Witch Project for... Yes. So one just quick, since I mentioned that one quick thing about that, that I just think is a really interesting um, kind of storytelling strategy as a way to build up history is that Jim says, oh, this reminds me of my orientation when he made a video that was based on the Blair Witch Project. So I like those things where kind of in an interview, they reference something and it kind of fills out this past world of the office. And then we learn that something like this is a pattern and is not a one-off thing.
1: Uh, if anybody heard uh, a quick little uh, 30 seconds or whatever of a commercial. So
0: cozy. Episode. Hi. We... Should we go check it out?
1: <laughs> <laughs> this, this is your weekend. Happening to you too. <laughs> Well, we're trying to watch the Lazy Sunday video. So,
0: (laughs) oh, we're having a lot of technical issues today.
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, should we pause the recording so you can watch Lazy Sunday and then come back? All right, let's pause it. And we're back. Megan has now watched Lazy Sunday. Megan, thoughts.
0: I feel like I have none. I don't. It's weird. It's weird to come to this when, for me, Lazy Scranton is so strongly the original.
1: Okay, isn't that fascinating? Yeah, more familiar with the parody than the yes thing. Uh, Because, like, there are Simpsons episodes. Like, I saw the Simpson parody of The Shining before I ever Mm -hmm. saw The Shining, and I was like, "Wait, what?" You know, or um, yeah. But I was just going to say, I was looking up, you know, the Wikipedia page about Lazy Sunday. So it's considered, this is under cultural influence. It's Mm -hmm. considered to have helped turn Saturday Night Live's declining performance uh, or turned it around prior to 2005. Um, I guess their ratings were going down and it's like reignited interest in it. What'd you say?
0: It was that beloved?
1: Yeah. And so uh, its initial iTunes success uh, was like a big deal then it went viral and it's been credited as having been the tipping point for YouTube's success. What? Yeah. So the video hosting site had only gone online five months earlier. And the video was one of, was the first television clip to go viral on the site. And in the week of its upload, the website traffic went up 83%. Um, And so it dawned uh, a bunch of uh, like parodies and rip offs. Um, uh among others and then most famously I guess the office is so and supposedly is like one of the things that launched Andy Samberg to stardom so uh so anyway I I mean I just think that's interesting because it it reaffirms you know your originary narrative about Michael as like a wannabe comedian like a Bob Hope but this that and the other and so he's you know um he's stealing from the best over at SNL here
0: wow so interesting yeah and so they're in new york city and they're talking about going and watching the chronicles of narnia and so i I was trying to get to like are these guys supposed to like michael want to be cool and they're not that cool and they're going to magnolia bakery which is famous cupcake bakery right Um, So it's interesting, though, doing that in New York City and then doing it in Scranton. And I I like that giving Scranton the New York treatment.
1: That's a good point, because, yeah, I had always thought of Lazy Sunday as like, oh, okay you know, a very familiar thing, like white rappers, um, you know, and trying to like be hardcore or whatever. And this kind of like taking a piss out of that. Yeah, uh, because it's about seeing Chronicles of Narnia or whatever. But you're <laughs> right; it is also about the space. It's about the city, and um, and so Scranton is the electric city. Apparently, I did not yeah. know that. Um, do you have any idea what the origin of that is? Do you think it's related
0: to the the coal mining and that kind of being an electrical source?
1: That's a great theory. Uh, I'm <laughs> just quickly Googling it. <laughs>
0: But yeah i think it's real
1: it was the first in the nation to have electric powered streetcars. really yeah wow fascinating there we go this is what it's like to learn everybody you're listening to us google ship and <laughs> piece it together um so we're clearly fans of michael's orientation video i'm less a fan of his night at the roxbury um parody, and certainly far less of the integration, uh, whatever game oh, or yeah. integration
0: like, celebration Is celebration.
1: That yeah. You're those saying? are less successful to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, <laughs> so should we talk about him putting the new people on the table? Sure. Uh, oh wait, something that comes before that. Here's a moment, another moment that really bothered me about Jim and this is when he goes into the break room yes he buys a bottled water right I've got issues with that that we can discuss um but then he says so Pam you know Pam asks him about like you know what happened to grape soda gym or something and he says he's trying to move away from grape soda and he's trying to get into bottled water how pretentious does this guy sound
1: Okay, I'm I'm with you. This is really the crux of of what we got to get to, I think, in some degree. We're getting uh, to the heart of the issue here, because the plot of this episode is, oh, my God, Jim and Pam are getting are meeting up again. And I think it's hard for me to remember what that must have been like the first time you're kind of going through this story Mm -hmm. because I I was less focused on that. Right. But I guess at the time you'd be like, holy shit, like they've been separated. What are they going to say? What's it going to be like? These interactions are going to be so laden. And I really like that Pam just like runs over and hugs him, doesn't play it cool. And yeah. Uh, and he starts to make some joke like, oh, I was going to pretend like blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I don't care. You're really here. Now, yeah. in Jim's defense, the last time they interact, well, the last time they were in person, right? She turned him down. But in, Pam's defense like she was engaged she was going through it you know now she's not she's single she's on her own and presumably he knows all of that because they talked on the phone right mm-hmm. and so while I understand that it's awkward for him to come back and it would be awkward between them it does feel like he's being cold yeah and like, a little bit standoffish or something and I was like What the hell, dude? Like you guys had that nice talk on the phone. But what we don't know, I don't think at the time throughout the episode, like, isn't it a revelation that he and Karen are dating at the end? Yeah. Like we find out when Pam finds out. And so that slightly retrospectively, but I was also like, hey, man, like there's nothing she's not running up being like, now we can be together, Jim. Like, yeah, being a dick. Like, yeah, he was just being a dick. or you know you could just say like like an adult like hey like this is weird you know whatever and I mean I guess he ultimately gets there but I don't know okay so I'm sorry I've just rambled but that's I I don't know what did you think of the whole plot and then yeah that interaction and also why do you what's your feelings about bottled water
0: I don't like the taste of bottled water as much as I like faucet water and I guess living in like the, the water, okay, so I live near Lake Michigan, we've got Lake Michigan water, it's delicious, I like it, I don't like the taste, so if I'm in a circumstance where I have to be drinking bottled water, I don't drink as much because I just don't like it. Wow. This was the thing to me with Jim, there's a water cooler, why yes. are you paying for bottled water?
1: Right, right.
0: It's absurd, right?
1: Yes. Also, you never cease to surprise me. I was like, oh, Megan's going to maybe like have feelings about buying plastic bottles of water or something like that. Or maybe, you know, I did. It did occur to me that like maybe you're like, why are you paying for something you could get for free? But the fact that you have feelings about the taste of bottled water, this is just one of the reasons that I love you. Like, I love this about you. You,
0: yes. <laughs> doesn't everyone have feelings about the flavor of bottled water?
1: I, I don't. This is amazing. Yeah. You
0: don't? You no. It has like a, a mouth feel or something.
1: I have no, I've never doesn't really. tastes different. Huh. This has never occurred to me. The only, I will say, okay, so when we moved into the place that we're living now, like the water is undrinkable. It is really, it's oh. It's like really hard water and it tastes like sulfur. Yeah. And, so we have to drink like bottled water, which I feel really bad about because I don't you know, I feel bad about like the plastic and the stuff like that. And so we need some kind of solution or whatever. But um, so that's the only thought I've ever it's this is the first time in my life where I've not been able to drink like the water from the tap. And I've always been fine with tap water. And I, you know, I noticed the difference when I travel to different cities, but it's never been this is the first time in my life where I'm like, oh, God, this is undrinkable. Um hmm. Yeah. Well so I'm grateful for bottled water, I suppose, but
0: yeah, you need to be drinking water.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. Um but I've never really paid attention even to like different brands or whatever. I don't know. I'm like, it's all the same. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got feelings about it. And
0: yeah, I think I'm I am lucky to live in a place where we've got good tap water that you can drink and
1: that is also just delicious. Okay, but like what Describe what makes it delicious. Like, what's the flavor? Like, what's the flavor profile? Just and-
0: water flavored.
1: <laughs> water flavored. Okay, subset question. I don't
0: if know you- about minerals. I don't, <laughs> I there's nothing I can give you to actually describe this. It's based on nothing.
1: Okay, well, let me ask you this. If you're, let's say you're in an airport or whatever, or I don't know, you're in a context in which you have to purchase bottled water. Mm -hmm. and you have multiple options which bottled water is your least like which yeah which one do you hate the least
0: i'll just always go with whatever's cheapest i'm not gonna pay more for water (laughs) um also i think sometimes the ones that are less name brandy are less distinctive so like a costco bottled water kirkland um, I prefer over, say, an Evian or something like that. Because I think those names that are working more on their brand try to give it a little something unique. But if you go, if you go with the Kirkland, they're just putting water in bottles. They're not, they're not trying to make their mark on the brand. It's Costco, but it's good. You know, it's good enough. It's not as good as tap water, but it's good enough.
1: This is why I'm so glad we do this podcast and also why I ask you why I ask questions, because holy shit, this is amazing. Also, sometimes I like to picture you as like a depression era grandma um, because of the way that you like you really want to save a dollar. And uh, and I really like that. Like you have real like you thought it through, you know, like how to do that. And so I have one, one quick question before we move back to Jim.
0: Okay.
1: When you open a present, like a mm-hmm. birthday present or a Christmas present, do you save the wrapping paper?
0: Sometimes I do, oh. yeah. If it's nice wrapping paper and it's not too folded up, yeah, I, might, I love this. I might be of the depression era in some ways, but here's the thing, here's the thing. I'm totally willing to spend $2 on the grape soda It's just that I'm not going to pay that amount of money for a thing that I can just go and get out of the water cooler. Do you see what
1: I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. (laughs) I thought that grape soda was a weird choice also. I was like, I mean, I guess that they don't want to say a Coke or a Sprite or something. And it would be hard to say, I guess, I mean, you could say a cola, but that would be weird.
0: That would be more weird. Yeah, maybe that is why. Because he does like grape soda. That's been the thing before. Because you remember when Michael and Dwight's like, you're drinking... That episode where Dwight's like, you're drinking grape soda. You never drink grape soda, you know, to point out God. that he's coming, Jim.
1: <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. And, but I just feel like grape soda is not a thing that to ever in our vending machines. I don't know if it's in more widely available in Pennsylvania. Like the only exotic soda you might get soda. here would be like an orange soda. Oh, um, okay. You yeah. know, and, uh which I love in orange soda, specifically with Chinese food. Those to me go. Oh,
0: that sounds like a good combination. Yeah.
1: Um, Okay. Your thoughts on Jim, Pam, the whole plot.
0: Um, I think I just want to to address this zero in on one moment that I thought was a great writing moment, even though it's not spoken. And that is when they're sitting in the conference room and Jim is at the table and Karen's behind him at the chairs along the edge. And she just hands him a stick of gum, Uh say anything. She just kind of taps him and hands him a stick of gum. And I thought, wow, there is something so intimate about that, like the level of familiarity that it's not even offering. Do you want a piece of gum? It's just, I know that you want a piece of gum. We've obviously done this before. I am a person who gives you sticks of gum. And so I'm just going to hand it to you. And Pam sees that. Mm. and So I just thought that was such a powerful, tiny moment of showing there being something more and we don't you know we don't know yet what that is and nothing's confirmed but really showing that there is something more there and then having pam see it and feel sad about it
1: that's a great point i i totally forgot about that moment i did think as much as i'm like i think i like plot a lot just in general um you know, I I also like just hanging out with characters. And um, this episode had a lot of great, you know, little character moments like that and character details. And I one of my favorites was the Phyllis bit um, with the perfume that Karen Mm -hmm. thinks smells like a funeral home. And I thought that was an interesting moment for a couple of reasons, but it made me realize that we don't often get a sense of how settings smell on television like oh, you need someone yeah. to describe it, right? And it's not yeah. very often that anybody is sort of describing the smells. And yeah. to the extent that it ever is, it's kind of like PU or something, you know, like, oh mm-hmm. God. you know. And yeah. I guess the only other time we've got is with the carpet, right? The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but it's often like that kind of a smell, not like this. And even though this yeah. is also a stink, mm-hmm. I just thought it, it was such a specific to describe it like as a funeral home was really interesting. And then I thought some great moments for Phyllis where we get a sense of her as a nice person with an edge. And yeah, so yeah. she says, She's like, Oh, well, let me help you find out where the smell is. Like, that's a nice thing to do. And then yeah. she's like, You got a lot to learn about this city, sweetie, or something like that. Yeah. Because um, yeah. she doesn't know who Bob Vance is. Uh-huh. And then by the end, I to, to Phyllis's credit when when karen is like oh is that bob vance vance refrigeration and she like gives karen a second chance and i thought that that was very yeah. lovely yeah and a great cut to stanley being like for years i've ignored her stinky perfumes who do mm-hmm. these people think they are mm-hmm. which made me think about how you'll put up, not only will you put up with things that are annoying um with people that you're familiar with you will stop noticing them to a degree And I don't know. That just made me think about how you kind of get used to. Yeah. Even if you don't like somebody or like something about them, you'll get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. Have to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One, another kind of character moment was seeing Stanley eventually kind of come out of his shell a little bit. And this was toward the end of the episode. This is after... Michael has taken the air out of their tires in order to get everybody riled up and united against Vance refrigeration in order to bring the office together. And so Stanley had said that thing, you know, he's just not into this idea of connecting with the new people. He just wants to keep going about his day. There's a point when Martin looks over at him and kind of like bumps his fist on his chest like... Hey, we're the two black people in the office. Like he's trying, I thought that was a very sweet moment of Martin where he's like trying to say hi to him and he's trying to connect with him and Stanley just rolls his eyes and is not into it. But then after Michael's let the air out of the tires, they're on their way walking back in and Martin asks something like, what's with this guy? And then that kind of opens Stanley up. And then they're upstairs, and Stanley is standing, and he's kind of sitting on his desk. He's got his knee up, and he's kind of holding court. You know, he's got people around, yeah. and he's talking, and he's able to talk about the challenges with Michael. And so that was uh, just a kind of interesting shift in his social presence. And i I just thought it was it was noteworthy that it opens up when someone asks him about Michael. What is
1: with this guy? Yeah. Yeah, oh that's a great point. And in a way like it is confirming Michael's theory mm-hmm. about what it will take to get them to bond. They totally.
0: Need, yes.
1: They need an other uh they yes. need a, you know they need a they need an antagonist and
0: they need a lunch lady, doesn't he say?
1: Yeah, he's trying to make it Vance Refrigeration, right? Or or yes. uh, is yeah and he says we got to go steal their refrigerators or something like that um I can't remember but yeah uh, but yeah so you know even if it's not that that brings it together it it ends up being Michael and his kind of incompetence and over-the-top efforts um so yeah I was I thought that was interesting yeah so the lunch lady line is Sometimes what brings the kids together is hating the lunch lady, although that'll change because by the end of the fourth grade, the lunch lady was actually the person I hung out with the most. Oh, God. Oh, oh. and that also brings us to another key moment into Michael's backstory.
0: hmm. Tyler, you must be thinking of Jeff.
1: I am thinking of Jeff. Uh, yeah. OK.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got we to gotta talk about this. Do you want me to read the quote?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: I think we're probably thinking of the same moment. Yep. Okay. So Michael says, the word merger comes from the word marriage. And that was what today was supposed to be. The loving union between people. Instead, it has become like when my mom moved in with Jeff. And once again, it becomes my job to fix it. <laughs> what does this mean? We just tapped into a reservoir of michael's psychological and emotional history here um wow first impressions of jeff
1: <laughs> uh, well okay so he doesn't say my stepdad and, yeah and i as far as i know we don't know anything about his biological father and it sounds like mm-hmm. jeff is not that. so he's got daddy issues <laughs> and mommy issues yeah uh, he was displaced by Jeff, I guess, in some sense. But okay, so the loving union between people, instead, it has become like when my moved moved in with Jeff. Uh, yeah, there's so, like, does that mean there was tension between him and Jeff, his mom and Jeff, or his mom and Michael because of Jeff? Yeah. But Michael's seat is narrating it like it was his job as a child to fix it so I'm it sounds like to some degree Michael was a parentified child yeah Um, Yeah.
0: like there was some level of responsibility that kind of kicked in for him to manage yeah trying to assemble a relationship or trying to navigate a relationship that was beyond his years
1: (laughs) at the same time I was like well wait that is kind of his mo to sort of take responsibility for things that aren't his responsibility And Mm -hmm. I suppose he does that to create control where he has none. And so to what extent, you know, was he sort of like positioning himself as the fixer? uh, As a way to to feel like he has control over the fact that somebody's moved into his house or something like that. I don't know. His mom moved into Jeff's. Oh, shit. Mom moved in with Jeff. And we
0: don't actually really know. I mean, I kind of read this as him being a kid. We don't really know if it's when she's a kid or if it is when he's older, he's out of the house, but she's moving into right. the house. So it sounds like in that too, he's probably kind of losing his home, home in some way. And yeah, having to fix it. It feels like is this the origin point for a lot of the hurt in Michael? Or is it one of those, like yeah. one of those critical early? Times that shapes him and his desire to create loving unions between people through the office, through the family, or I mean, through thinking about the office as a family, which he said at the beginning of the episode is doubling in size.
1: Yeah. Oh my God.
0: So it's kind of heartbreaking, Michael.
1: And so if he and his mom moved in with Jeff, let's just go with that for a second. Yeah. That would explain why he is empathetic to the new employees who are entering
0: yeah. his family
1: in yeah. this scenario he is Jeff now oh and my
0: god yes
1: is trying to welcome them perhaps with either welcome them in a way he was not yeah. welcome didn't feel welcome or or he's repeating that scene of welcoming yes <laughs> but to now be the welcomer rather than the new the yeah the, the person the outsider
0: yeah him then putting them up on the table like wanting to make them feel special and wanting them to get attention because that seems like a situation where he probably felt displaced and felt like he was not special and was not on the top of his mom's table and wanted to be
1: and he and yet in some ways he like repeats the error Hmm. uh, in a classic unconscious way because he's constantly sort of telling the Scranton people like you're not as important like today. Yeah. you know yeah. like they're like oh like let's and he's like this food is not for you you yeah. don't be up on a table and so he faces that contradiction at one point where he's like we're all equal well then why are they up on a table well you know I can't remember what yeah. he says about that um yeah but huh. so even though he's trying to bring them together he keeps accidentally separating them right
0: yeah. And then he snaps, too, on Anthony or Tony. He's called both, right? Um, yeah, yeah, he yeah. Snaps, he snaps on Anthony when he quits, which is also the if diff- he, he wants to be the dad of the office, but also the difficult thing of being a dad. <laughs> it's like not everybody, not all the kids always like you and are happy and do the thing uh, that you want. So, yeah, he's trying to create this wonderful thing where they feel so good, but then he also cannot handle them not appreciating it. Yeah. Yes. I you, know, you and I were with him on them being a little underappreciative
1: <laughs> of the gift bags. I did think that um just as a quick we've talked about this before with other oh with um with um oh god what's her I'm blanking on her name. Um what's the what's Michael's boss's name? Uh Jan. Jan. Okay, so Jan will often respond in ways that we ha- or I find like admirable. I'm like, wow, like, how did you find the presence of mine? I mm-hmm. felt that with Tony where uh, he says, it's just not going to work out for me. I was on the fence about this. It's not a good fit. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he's like, well, we'll squeeze you in. I can't work here. I have to quit. He's being clear and direct, yeah. but he's he's yeah. taking responsibility. He's not saying it's your right. fault, you know, whatever. He's like, uh, you know, it's it's he's using I statements like yeah. saying thing. Uh, you can't quit, blah, blah, blah. Was it Toby? <laughs> no, Toby was <laughs> helpful. He was very kind. And then, you know, pushed. He's like, it's just your management style. Which I thought even then was an excessively generous way. Yeah, because like, you're him.
0: not a fit. Yeah, yeah.
1: My management style, didn't you think is was funny? No. Was it supposed to be funny? Which was a great line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, <laughs> well, don't bother quitting because you're fired. <laughs> so there's no point at which Tony ever actually really yeah. blames him. Um, yeah, yeah. And arguably it's that he didn't find the video funny that is the breaking point for me. <laughs> um the uh, um want the jeff backstory megan
0: i know i know
1: it's just
0: we'll get at least one more reference to jeff but i don't think we get a full a full recounting and so we just have to kind of sit with this this bit and think about what it what it means one thing i wanted to read into the record that happens right after Michael fires Tony, who tries to quit. Um, Hannah says, Tony was right. This environment is dysfunctional. Angela, maybe that's because some people treat it like their own private Hooter strip club. And then Michael, whoa, Angela, hold on. And I love how it kind of sets us up to think he's going to say that's an inappropriate thing to say to Hannah, but he says Hooters is a restaurant with ah. over 100 locations worldwide. So I love it that he wants to make the clarification on what Hooters is. So great. And defend its honor.
1: Really funny. <laughs> um, yeah, just as a quick aside about that character. Creed is yeah. a real creep, huh?
0: Creed is a real creep, yeah. Like yeah, just... he takes a picture when she's breast pumping, and then he has it on his computer. I love when Michael walks up though, and he asks something like, "Is that a squid's eye?" <laughs> <laughs> uh...
1: <laughs>
0: Creed, Creed is a creep. Um Well, couple of other couple of other standout lines I just want to mention <laughs> when Dwight and Andy are going out in the elevator at the end, and they're. Starting to fight, Andy says, "Saw your dork mobile about Fantastic. his car," and then he's talking about his Extera, and he this is the way he describes it. He says, "Luxurious yet rugged. Leave it to the Japanese." I don't know why I thought that was so funny to say that combination of luxurious and rugged. Leave it to the Japanese. I I don't know quite what it was, but I found it very funny.
1: Oh, well, that's interesting. Just because it's later or it's earlier in the episode where Dwight is talking about Japanese guards in World War II. Ooh, but, that's a good point. There are these, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That is really funny.
0: I had not thought about that connection. The contrast of their cars is.
1: Yeah, it's great. <laughs> interesting and
0: delightful thing, too. Um, I have one other line I wanted to go to. Okay. But, Tyler, what else have you got? Uh,
1: Well, just one. Uh, I'm trying to find the actual line. Oh, okay. So uh, Karen arrives and she says, hi, hi, I'm Pam. Karen says, I love your sweater. Oh, thanks. My mom made it for me. Really? That's so cool. I've always wanted to learn. And then like Michael busts in, which I felt like I I really actually liked that writing because it was like, oh, here are two people who are actually starting to form a bond yeah. You know, and Michael disrupts it uh yeah. in the service of trying to make people bond and
0: yeah, yeah. I
1: th- I just thought that was like it's a good example of like when you try to force people to connect mm-hmm. um you often disrupt, you know, whatever was actually going to happen in the first place. But nonetheless, I also thought it was interesting that Pam yet again is talking about her mom and I uh did notice that sweater. I kind of like that sweater. You too. Um, And I thought, wow, that's impressive that her mom can knit that I did wonder how Karen or Pam would feel later about that interaction. Like would Pam go home and be like, Why did I say my mom made it? And I was probably projecting there, but I feel like I have a lot of I admired Pam's kind of like lack of her vulnerability. She's not trying to be cool. She's like, yeah. Oh, cool. Like, well, my mom made it. And yeah, it made me wonder if later she would be like um, Mm self-conscious if she's anything like me uh but it also seemed like karen was genuinely open and curious i don't know so yeah i thought that was an interesting um
0: i thought that was a sweet interaction too and pam did seem to step up the wardrobe for jim's return
1: yeah good point wearing her special sweater yeah what's the other one that you wanted to the
0: last thing i wanted to go back to was something from the very beginning of the episode and andy poses a question that i want to pose to you He asks Jim about Michael. So what's he like? And this is where he's trying to learn, you know, learn about him so that he can do his personality mirroring and all of that. He asks, so what's he like? Likes, dislikes, favorite sports, favorite movies, favorite men's magazines. And so, Tyler, I wanted to turn this question back on you. Jim is very withholding and he does not tell. But I'm curious how much you've learned about Michael. And could you say anything about his likes, dislikes, favorite sports, favorite movies, or favorite men's magazines?
1: Okay, okay. All right. Hold on. Let me write this down. Sports? Yep. And you have answers in mind for each? I do have some answers in mind. Okay. How many? How many should I be guessing?
0: You can give... Oh, I don't have it like you're going to get answers right or wrong. Okay, okay,
1: okay. Can you
0: provide this is an open-ended short answer question
1: oh okay okay all right yes, favorite, sports,
0: favorite movies favorite men's magazines but also more generally likes and dislikes
1: oh and likes and dislikes all right eesh. okay movies um die hard
0: yes no nice okay <laughs> yeah that's
1: good um devil wears prada isn't that one
0: yes good <laughs> that's great
1: uh I can't any others
0: one starring James Vanderbeek
1: oh of course varsity blues <laughs> yes, of course and right before that was um um, um, um entourage right yes entourage. okay mm-hmm. um for magazines I remember cracked yeah. <laughs> And Maxim, I think.
0: Nice, yes.
1: Is there any others?
0: My favorite other magazine that he has is American Way. (laughs) The In Magazine. (laughs) He also claims to subscribe to Fine Arts Aficionado (laughs) when he's trying to cover up, you know, that he doesn't just read Cracked. Um, But also Small Businessman.
1: That's the one. I remember because didn't he like write into Small Businessman or something? (laughs) Yes sports is harder i mean the only thing that's coming to mind is basketball because they played basketball but mm-hmm. is that correct there's one
0: not? other there's one other that i oh, think oh wait you... ice hockey ice hockey yeah i was gonna say yes it's a sport. yes tyler you i'm paying it. attention <laughs> That was fantastic yeah you were paying attention in Man, terms of, there... the of magazines was impressive
1: what about i always think about him wanting her pam to like uh renew his subscriptions or something or yeah he's he
0: moving for his new condo his address yeah and,
1: like, when he's like mentioning cracked, but like clearly really wants that one but is trying to sound
0: yeah yes um yes
1: i feel like i can relate to that <laughs> <laughs> did you have likes and dislikes more generally besides those i didn't because i would say likes would be crackling bacon
0: Yeah, definitely dislikes Toby primarily.
1: (laughs) That's brilliant. All right, that's great. Okay, we got to bring in more quizzes to the mix. I enjoy this. Okay, little challenge. Okay, that sounds good. We'll do it. Well, is it time to go to Chili's for the Dundies? It's time. All right, I have my I got my chicken tender platter, and I'm ready to hear your your Dundee of the week.
0: Okay, I am going to give out two this week. The first is the Military Precision Award. And that goes to Andy Bernard, because I think his tactics, his warlike tactics for entering the office are really strategic and really good.
1: (laughs) I totally agree. There's one thing where he says about how in like two weeks or whatever or he's he's alienating the more that he gets under Dwight's skin the angrier he gets the more marginalized he gets and I was like yeah. that's actually like a really good strategy
0: it's a really good strategy it's a really good strategy so yeah so Andy Andy gets an award I am also going to give the reasonably good co-worker award to Martin Nash I actually felt like out of all of the new people who came in he was the most likable Um, I just found him to be friendly and just a likable guy, like not too much, just a relatively easy guy to be around. Um, and I felt like he came in with a good attitude and was likable. And I did not find that about many of the people coming in from Stanford.
1: You're not a fan of them
0: i'm not a big i'm not a big fan well i like karen but i didn't she was not she was not the most promising co-worker here Mm -hmm. hannah was i didn't like her from the start um sorry we don't need to get into that (laughs) i just felt like she had a bad attitude from the moment that she walked in and was a jerk about the gift bag um but i yeah so so I felt like Martin was deserving of an more
1: Well, I also have two uh, and I have arrived at them over the course of our conversation because I really okay. didn't know. Um, and, but I was leaning towards one the whole time, but I was, you know. So anyway, the first is the Walking on Eggshells Award uh, that goes to Karen <laughs> Filippelli. Uh, I just felt for Karen in this episode because it doesn't seem that Jim has prepared her very well.
0: Yeah, that's a good.
1: Particularly point. with Pam. Mm-hmm. and. So it was, I was definitely like a little tense seeing them interact and being like, oh, Karen has no idea, like what she has stepped into here Mm -hmm. and that gets played out with the Phyllis scene. And I felt that she did the best that she could, Uh, Karen, you know, attempting to appease and fit in, but that I just felt like she was, you know, she's tiptoeing and and I admired her skill. Yeah. Um, But uh i mean it's maybe a little obvious maybe a little on the nose um but the orientation award goes to michael (laughs) scott because he really made an a effort here well not just an a an a plus no not just an a plus an a plus plus yeah you almost forgot Uh, about
0: the a plus plus uh
1: in um giving in attempting to give them an experience uh, that was stress-free and silly and uh and and i felt like that was. You know worthy of recognition like he tried hard not to be problematic (laughs) and (laughs) to uh and to make people come together when understandably the people at stanford might feel really resentful and uh Mm. and as much as possible i felt like michael was trying not to make it about himself and i felt like that was growth so good work michael scott tyler speaking of plots I feel like your trajectory
0: with Michael Scott over the course of this podcast. <laughs> is stunning.
1: <laughs> I, I, I think it's more like, uh, I've been conditioned or brainwashed into a cult. So <laughs> <Yeah. Okay.
0: laughs> <laughs> like I have Dwight Schrute initiated you. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So that's Scott, and now you're giving him awards on days when I'm not even giving him an award.
1: It's tough, though. I almost call it the hospitality award. And I'm like, I feel like I've given that award like six times. So, uh, <laughs> it's OK.
0: It's a classic award. It's like uh, the longest engagement award. Somebody can get it every year.
1: Ah, good point. Well, next episode, we've got season three, episode nine, The Convict. What mm-hmm. a title. I think we're
0: going to meet Prison Mike.
1: Oh, all <laughs> right. It's going to be an iconic one.
0: Yep. All right. Thank you for listening.
1: Thanks. Bye.